The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. Then he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. All right. Um, let's pray just before Randall comes up. Um, Father God, we are so thankful to be here um, to be here as your people and your family coming together. And I thank you for your word and what it teaches us for everyday life. And um, I pray for um, Randall as he comes up to open up your word to him, uh, to us, that you will give him the words and you will um, anoint him just just as you anointed uh, David and Samuel and um, bring your word and your light to every one of us here. Um, And in your name, amen. All right, well, good morning. My name is Randall. If this is your first time here to Grace City, welcome. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, We're gonna be continuing in our series called Everyday Gospel. And we started it a couple weeks ago um, as we celebrated two years as a church. And so if you're new, again, we're, we're uh, a very young church, uh, but we've seen God do some amazing things because really the heart of who we are is this, that we are a gospel-centered church. And so throughout the month of October, we're describing what that means, what that looks like in our lives. Um, And so we see that the message of Jesus, the gospel, is not just in the New Testament, but is in the Old Testament. It's all throughout the scriptures. You will see God working uh, with his plan of salvation throughout the the Bible, and you will see uh, threaded throughout the Bible this message of this, that God is the hero. God's the hero of the story. And so it's, it's all through the scriptures and, and really that's what the gospel is. 
It's that God is the hero. Because uh, today as we study, we're gonna be studying 1 Samuel 16, one through 13. And as we look at the life of, of David, we see that he's being now anointed to become king. See, at that time, Saul was king, and he was this uh, guy, we look, and, and there's some good things about Saul, but then there's some bad things about Saul, and the thing about Saul was that he, he wasn't living life in a way where he said, okay, God, I, I trust you. And so now God has said, okay, I'm gonna put David as king. And what is it that David in his life is meant to, was meant to point to? What, what was it meaning of, of like, okay, David now is the king? It's that there is gonna be one day a greater king, Jesus. And uh, so we're gonna see throughout the life of David the, the gospel just kind of playing out. And, um, and so our message today is this. The gospel and growth. The gospel and growth. And so last week we talked about the gospel and relationships. The week before that we talked about the gospel and me. And today we're talking about the gospel and growth. Um, the question is this. How, how do we grow in our lives, like spiritually, but just as people growing in character, how are we formed and shaped? What we see today in the life of David is that David grows through a defining moment, a defining moment for his life. American philosopher John Dewey once said that defining moments form, reveal, and test us. And in today's text, we see a defining moment in David's life. Now this moment would shape and develop him really for the rest of his life. The lessons that he learns here really help shape his future. Uh, Joseph Badaracco Jr., he, he's a, wrote a, a business article in, in the Harvard Business Review and here's what he says. He says, we form our character in defining moments because we commit to irreversible courses of action that shape our personal and professional identities. Defining moments uncover something that had been hidden or crystallized something that had been only partially known. And so this is somebody who's not writing from a Christian perspective but understands this idea of defining moments and how these are very important in our lives. And, and so whether in relationships, marriage, work, or life, we will all have these defining moments that help crystallize or uncover something deeper within us that we didn't know whether good or bad. Or it helps point out where we place our trust. See, in 1 Samuel 16, the prophet Samuel comes to the small insignificant town of Bethlehem by God's command to anoint this new king to be David. Even though there's a current king, Saul. And what Samuel is doing is he's putting himself in danger. That's why he, he says in the verse two, he says, okay, God, you know what I'm doing here. This could really put me at risk even getting me killed. God says, you, got, you, you listen to me. Trust me on this. And so, of all the people that God could have set aside for this position, this huge position of being king, God chooses the runt of the litter. He chooses David. It was a defining moment. 
for David, for his family. And the way this story unfolds teaches us a lot about God and how he operates. Because the way that man operates, God operates differently. God says it in Isaiah, he says, my thoughts are not, my, er, my thoughts are not your thoughts, your thoughts are not my thoughts, my ways are not your ways, your ways are not my ways. God operates on a different plane than we do. And so we see that today in how he operates with David and how David grows from this. See, many believe that personal growth and character is just about managing your outside image and behavior, just kind of holding it together to get us to a preferred destination. Maybe a better job or more money. But the Bible tells us that growth and character development is about so much more than some idea of getting our dream destination. See, what growth and character is about from a biblical perspective is, is this. It's that God loves us so much that he will shape us and form us not to get to our end goal in life, our dream in life, but he has this goal of who he could become. Right? It's not what we do in the future. It's about who we become because of God's grace. See, God is into shaping you into something that would be breathtaking. He wants to make you and mold you into something that would be more human. That's why Romans 8.29 says this, for, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Right, we read this passage, the, the previous passage, it's like God's gonna work all things together for the good of those who love him. That's true. But in the process, he has a bigger goal than getting you the good things that you think are in your horizon, right? His ultimate good is to make you more like the son, to make you more like Jesus, to form you and shape you in your character. See, this word conformed is sumorphous. And what it means is to fashion into something beautiful. God desires for you and me to grow into something stunning. And so how does God do this? He does it through love. Through love, through, through, through the gospel. See, in today's story, we'll see the gospel clearly through this defining moment and, and God just sovereignly placing along David's path, path this unexpected kingship. And what it does is it's meant to transform him for the rest of his life. It's meant to be that moment where he says, you know what, God actually sees me and he loves me. Even though I might be the runt of the litter and looked down upon. And so to set up the narrative, Eugene Peterson writes in his commentary on 1 Samuel 16 this. He says, there is far more than these two lives, David and Saul, involved. There is God's life, God's promise and judgments, God's word and will, God's sovereignty worked out in the lives of these two men. The interest of the narrator is not merely in telling us what happened, but in helping us realize and recognize God in the happenings. 
God is at the center of this story. Like I said, the last two weeks, we've been looking at, okay, what's this question of what is the gospel? What is it? And we've said that it it literally means good news. See, the Bible is not primarily a book of good advice or here's how to get my life better, but instead it's an announcement of good news. And the good news is this, that God loves sinful, messy people and has done everything to save us. Because as you look at David's life, as you look at Saul's life, it's a little hard to differentiate of like, okay, what's the difference here? Because they, they're not perfect. But it's that God loves us in the middle of our mess. Many times people look at David and say, well, I need to be more like David. But that's ultimately not the point of the story. And I need to tell you that up front. See, the point is to look at these historical figures in time and say, wow, look at how God worked through a broken person like David and shaped him into the person that he becomes. The gospel emphasizes God, not man. God is the hero of the story. And we will see it today in 1 Samuel 16 that David's growth is ultimately not because of him. It's because of God. And so how does God grow our character? And so again, our text today is 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13. And just to give some background again, in 1 Samuel 15, what happens right before this is that God asked Saul as king to to do something, to, to go to war and to annihilate this nation. And he says, you gotta, you gotta follow everything I'm asking you to do. And what does Saul do? He does what he wants to do. He doesn't listen to God's command. He pushes aside and says, okay, I'm just gonna do it my way. And so God looks down and says, okay, Saul, no longer are you going to be my king, but I am going to appoint a new king. And so we get to this defining moment in David's life. And so this text helps us to understand gospel growth and how that happens. And it happens in three ways. And so if you're taking notes today or if you're looking on your app, you've got it all there. But here's the thing. The gospel growth that we're looking at, number one, starts vertically. Number two, searches inwardly. And number three, shows outwardly. So all three, starts vertically, searches inwardly, shows outwardly. So we start with the first point in verse one, where it starts vertically. Uh, Let's look at verse one. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Now I want to stop for a minute and just point out that God is, is talking to Samuel and he finds Samuel just grieving over a decision he made. It was a leadership decision. You see, he's the one who, who, who set aside Saul and said, okay, Saul, you're going to be in charge now. But what he found was that Saul did not want to follow God. Like he had it all out on the, on the outside, but he didn't want to follow God. And so he grieved. He's grieving over this. Here's the thing. God doesn't say to Samuel, get over it. Stop grieving. But he comes to him and says, how long will you grieve? 
And this is an aside. Some of you today are grieving in your life. And you're not moving forward from the grief. And it's just a simple question that God asks because it's not bad to grieve. But his question is, how long? How long? Right, like, Samuel knows. He's like, man, I made this huge mistake of putting Saul in there, and I, I, the people wanted him, and I, and I knew it wasn't the right thing, but he did it. And God comes to him and said, it's time to move on. It's time to get up. He says, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I provided for myself a king among his sons. And so now Samuel is on this journey to go to Bethlehem. And David's defining moment starts. And so where does it start? It starts vertically. God does it. See, the only track at this point that David is on, from what we know, is that he was on a track to be a future expert in sheep herding. That was his trajectory in life, okay? He was going to be, like, really good at watching sheep. Isn't that impressive? Not really. And in that culture, no. You see, but there's this moment that God looks down and says, I'm going to intervene. This is going to start vertically. This is going to start with me. God says, okay, you're, you're not any longer on this fast track to being the sheep herder who's the run of the litter, who's o- overlooked in your family, but now I'm going to put you on the fast track to being the king of Israel. And so what it is, it's completely God-ordained. saying, I will send you, Samuel, to Jesse the Bethlehemite. And God shaped. God says this. He says, I have provided. This word provide means he's, I have hand-picked. I've selected, okay, my king for myself. What made David the best candidate to be a future king? Grace. Grace. See, no one saw this in David's future except for God. David's calling is purely an act of God's mercy and power. And in this moment will define him because he realizes that, okay, there, there could be some paths that I would have been on, but it is only by the grace of God that I get to this place in life. That God's the one that plucks me out of where I was going and where I was headed and puts me on a different path. See, all his family saw in him was a kid who needed to go watch over the sheep. And what God saw in him was a future king of Israel who would write many of the scriptures that we read today. David was chosen by God. And this is where his life begins. Let me ask you this. How do you view your life? 
How do you view where, where you see yourself or where you're at right now and positioned in life? See, for many of us, we think, well, well I got here because of me. Right, I, I got here because I worked harder than other people. I was smarter in my dealings than other people. So I got here and I'm in this really good position in life. But then there are others of us who say, well, I'm here because I've made terrible decisions and I've messed up so badly that there's no way that I could ever get my life back on track. See, we have this really, I got this, this is all about me position right here where we say it's all, I did it. But then we've got the completely other side who says, man, I, I did it, but I'm, there's no way that I could ever be on a better track. And what I want to point you to today is this, it, that it starts vertically for you, for me. See, as I look over my life and I think about the place that I am in personally, I would have to say it is by God's grace that I am who I am. It's God. He did it. He put, he put me in this position now where I've been married for 12 years, where I have three beautiful kids, where it's, it's all of these things, but I know that it's not from me. It's all God. See, over time, what we realize is that we're not as smart as we thought we were. We're not as good as we thought we were. And God gets us to this place in life where he says, will you look up and see me in the midst of your trials? Because I want to tell a different story in your life. See, none of us ever get here on our own. If we look at our story, we would have to say this. Okay, there are moments where I got this break. Or maybe I was born in this situation. where I was given this opportunity, I didn't deserve it. Here's the truth about our lives. We didn't choose our name. We didn't choose our culture. We didn't choose our upbringing. We didn't choose our hometown. We didn't choose what family we were born into. But I want to tell you this, that God is able to break through any barriers that those things might try and hold you back from in your life. Because God looks down and says, I'm going to choose this kid from a small town who's last in line, who is least likely to be anything. I'm going to choose the underdog. There's a guy named Tim Sanders. I like reading some of his books. He, he's written some on business and different things in the past. And, um, and the thing about Tim is he, he's a really an exceptional guy. He, he, at one point, when Yahoo was cool, um, he was like one of the top people in, in Yahoo. I don't even know how to say it, like Yahoo, Yahoo, whatever. But he's one of the top people in there. And um, I remember him sharing his story. And he said when he was four years old, um, his mom didn't want him. And so she left him in a motel room by himself. And his grandmother had to come find him and pick him up and she basically raised him for the rest of his life um, and he looks back and he says um, 
You know, the thing I learned from my grandmother was that um, she would always say this phrase, today we are rich. <clears throat> she wasn't wealthy on the outside, have a lot of things, but she looked at the position she was in in life and she says, she, she would always say, today we are rich. And, and he said he just kind of held that perspective all through life. And he said he, he had moments where he struggled. He's like, my parents didn't want me. I, I, he's like, I, I grew up in a crazy situation. Like, how could you say today I'm rich? But then he looks at his life now, years later, looking at his grandmother who raised him on her own. And he said, yeah, rich. It was all grace that God gave. I didn't deserve it. And he realized he got to the position he did in life, not by himself, but by God. See, what we learn is that growth starts vertically with a God who can overcome the disadvantages that the world throws at us. And he does it through his power and through his strength. And it's just unexpected what God could do. Secondly, we must see that for gospel growth to happen, it's that it searches inwardly. It searches inwardly. So let's look at verses six and seven. It says, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, you're, you're going to see, if you could see the text in its original language in the Hebrew, what you would see is throughout this word ra'ah in the Hebrew. And what this word means is look, right? But it also means inspect. And so you'll see it throughout there. It is that the Lord inspects the heart. Here's the truth. We can't fake it around God. We might be able to fake it around other people. We might be able to hold it together until we go home and, and or people don't see us. But the thing is, is that it catches up to us at some point. It caught up to Saul. And it'll catch up to all of us. See, one of the things that I've tried to teach um, our kids since they were little is humility, right? Like character, humility. But it's tough when you feel like you got it all, right? And so... In particular, my son, he, he thinks he's got it all, right? He's got the looks. He's got the ninja moves. He feels like he's got it all. And, and so one of the things I've been teaching him is like, son, you got to tone it down a little bit. And I, I've said this before, but I, I, we take him to karate, and he's doing very well. He's excelling in karate. He's doing 
good with that? And, and uh, this past week, um, we were, I was watching him inside uh, doing a competition with another person in there and, and it was in front of his class. And uh, he's, he wins. Bailey saw this too. Bailey was there. He, he wins, okay? And so I, I remember I saw him and he was just like, yeah, <laughs> yes. And he's looking around and he's like waiting for everybody to come and be like, yeah, man, you know? And so they're all surrounded. I'm like, yeah. They were like cheering his name and stuff. And uh, he comes running out. He's like, Dad, you know, I won. He's like, yeah, the girl that I was going against was like cheating and stuff, but <laughs> I still won. I beat her. I was, like, I was like, son, I saw you in there, bud. And remember what we talked about, about humility, right? Like if you win, like be gracious. Did you shake her hand? Did you say, hey, you know, good job, any of that stuff. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I did all that. I did all that. And so we go home later. I said, son, um, you know, when you came up to me and you were telling me about the girl who was cheating that you were going against, her mom was sitting next to me. And uh, she heard everything you said. <laughs> and uh, he was like, Ugh. And he goes, he literally, he goes into his closet <laughs> in the dark and he's standing there like this. <laughs> and I got to go in and I say, hey, son, <laughs> it happens. Here's the thing. We think we can get away with some of that stuff, right? Like, God doesn't see it. But the truth is that he does. He inspects and he searches and he looks down to the very crevices of who we are down to the heart. Verse seven again says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He inspects the heart. He searches inwardly. Here's the thing. When God looked at David, when he searched inwardly at David, what, what did he see? Did, did, did he see this, this perfect man who was going to do it all right? No. He didn't. But as he looked at David, who was far from perfect, because here's the thing about David. We'll, we'll see this later. He eventually murders commits adultery, messes up as a father? You say God searched him? We see in 1 Samuel 13 where he says, I'm looking for a man after my own heart. And then he picks David? So what was it that made David stand out to God that said, hey, this is a man after my own heart? It was a, it was the fact that David would be dependent on God through his struggles, through his dark side, that he knew that he needed grace, that God was the only one who could fix the mess in his life. 
It's why in the Psalms, David says, God, you are my righteousness. The thing that makes me right before you is not me, it's you. Brennan Manning once said, to live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the light side and the dark. In admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. It's the ability to be real and transparent to the point where it gets all the way deep down into our hearts. I said, man, I need your grace in every part of my life, God. I need your love to touch every part of my life because I don't have what it takes. You want to know where growth comes from? It's being dependent on God's grace. Here's the radical truth. God's standard is grace, not goodness. Some of us think that it's about good people and bad people. If it were goodness, none of us would pass. No one would. If God looked at David and said, it's gonna be based on your goodness that I'm gonna love you and I'm gonna anoint you as king, he would not have passed. Isaiah 64, 6 says it like this, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind our sins sweep us away. See, when we know that true growth is from God, then we will see that God radically transforms weak, unqualified people from the inside out. That's who he takes. It's an invitation. And then the third point is this, it shows outwardly. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sat and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and, and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took on the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Where does God find David? He finds him in the simple task of keeping sheep. David was just being faithful in the lowly task. And what we find throughout scripture is that this is where God was developing him to be the person that he had him to be in the future. See, he was just alone with sheep. And I just want to say this. When we think about character, when we think about growth, many times we overlook the little small tasks that are happening in our life and we say, I got to go do this. Well, that's just too small. That's just too insignificant for me. And we push it aside. But that's where David is found. He's just keeping the sheep. God molds us and shapes us in these moments to become more like uh, Jesus. Gene Edwards in his book, A Tale of Three Kings, paints a beautiful picture of David protecting his sheep from the attack of a bear. Because what we find is that David, um, while he was protecting his sheep, uh, protected them from a bear and also a lion. And, and so what that says is he was willing to lay down his life. He was willing to risk himself for the sake of the sheep. 
And as he talks about the attack of the bear and then David kills the bear, here's, here's what he says. A few moments later, the man, not quite so young as a moment before, picked up the little lamb and said this, I am your shepherd and God is mine. See, he knew his position in life. Even in the lowly tasks, he, he, he follows through with it and then he finds out that God is taking care of him through it all. See, God is our shepherd. See, thousands of years later, Jesus would call himself a good shepherd. And so now David was living that out to give us a picture of the kind of shepherd that Jesus is, one that would lay his life down. And in the midst of it, it just shows outwardly in his life. See, how did, how did David continue to grow and become the king that God wanted him to be? Well, it says the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. How did he become the person that he was gonna be? How did he gain the, the, the character and the person that God said, okay, this is, you're the one. The spirit of the Lord. So the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. See, many of us think, well, how do, how do I develop my character? What do I need to do? What leadership book do I need to read? How do I need to improve? Have you asked God? Have you said, God, would you shape me and develop me into the person you want me to be? Would your spirit come upon me and into my life and make me a person of integrity and character? Because the thing that would hold David together the rest of his life is God. Charles Spurgeon once said, the saints shall persevere in holiness because God perseveres in grace. You want to know how you grow holier and holier and holier in Christ? It's that there's a God who keeps pursuing, 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 pursuing with his grace, his mercy, his love. What happens is it starts to show outwardly about who we are in our lives. It comes out of our lives. So how do we personally grow in the gospel? Quickly, number one, growth starts by seeing God's hand. Starts by seeing God's hand. Do you see God's hand in your life? Are you willing to admit, are you willing to look vertically and say, okay, God, you put me where I am today. I realize I didn't get here on my own. And what it is, is it's looking at the things in our life and saying, okay, God, it's only because of you that I'm here. That's why David said in 1 Samuel 17, 37, before he goes to kill Goliath, he says this, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. What gave him the confidence to move forward and say, okay, God, I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna keep going forward in life. It's knowing that God was his protection. It's knowing that God was the one that was holding him. Even though it's scary, even though it's intimidating in life, what's gonna hold you together? It's seeing God's hand in your life. Second is, growth happens on the path of brokenness. What we find in the next verses is this, that David is called to then go serve Saul. And what we find is in the life of David, he would be broken by Saul. He would have spears thrown at him and he would have Saul chasing him, trying to kill him because he hated him so much. What was this doing? 
God was sovereignly killing the Saul in David. He was breaking him down so that he wouldn't lead like Saul. Growth happens on the path of brokenness. You might find yourself right now in the middle of brokenness. But again, in A Tale of Three Kings, Gene Edwards writes, he says, God has a university. It's a small school. Few enroll. Even fewer graduate. He has this school because he does not have broken men and women. Instead, he has several other types of people. He has people who claim to have God's authority and don't. People who claim to be broken and aren't. And people who do have God's authority but who are mad and unbroken. In God's sacred school of submission and brokenness, why are there so few students? Because all students in this school must suffer much pain. And as you might guess, it is often the unbroken ruler whom God sovereignly picks who meets out that pain. You feel like, okay, I'm in this position right now where I'm just, ah, it's really hard. God's doing something in your life to grow your character. He is. And the third point is this, growth lasts through God's strength. Jesus said it simply in John 15, you will bear no fruit apart from me. Where does lasting, eternal, good things come from in my life, in your life? God. God, do you want to know how to grow and, 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 and have lasting fruit in your life? Read the book of Galatians. Paul looks at the Galatians and says, you guys are crazy because you think that you can become, you, you can bear fruit on your own without the Holy Spirit in your life. You guys are crazy. You think you can do this apart from God? Like God saved you and now you're gonna go grow and become more like Jesus on your own strength? That's crazy. Now growth happens through God's power and his strength flowing through our lives. And so to end, Psalm 17, 8, David is crying. He says, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. You're gonna see David throughout all the Psalms just praying these prayers of just, God, help me. I need you. I can't do this without you. And in this verse, he says, keep me as the apple of your eye. The apple of our eye is the, the, the most sensitive part of our eye. He's saying to God that you have me so deep in your love that I'm all the way deep down in there that you would protect me like that. God, keep me there. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. How can he pray that prayer when he's messed up, when he's sinned along the way, when he wasn't the perfect king? It's because there was a shepherd king who would come thousands of years later who the very heart of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Son, the apple of the Father's eye would come down to earth and die for David, for you, for me, for our sins. 
and the shadow of God's wing did not protect him. But on the cross, the wrath of God poured out fully on the Son. And so when David prayed, Lord, you're my righteousness, you're all I have. He didn't realize that it would be Jesus, the one that we look to today. See, it was the same gospel then as it is now. His righteousness, David's righteousness, even though he didn't know exactly how it was gonna work out, was in Jesus. And today as we look back thousands of years later and we say, okay, what's my righteousness? How do I grow in my life? How do I become more and more a person of character? My righteousness is in Jesus. It's the same. It's all about him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that as we look back at the story, David, um, he didn't get to where he was because of himself and his abilities. He got there because of you, Lord. And so we pray today that we'd be dependent on you, on your spirit, on what you can do in our lives, Lord. We can't do it. But if we see our lives as a gift, as grace, our whole world opens up to us because we found new life in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.